You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Okay, let's get our Bibles open to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and Lord willing, just to update you, uh, we have three messages left in our series in James. Um, say Lord willing, because there's a chance it could be four, but we're planning on three right now. Um, every passage in the series has been so practical and also so powerful in its application. You know, as we've gone through on the book of James together too, a one thing James has not lacked is the fear of man, or at least one thing he hasn't struggled with, I should say. He hasn't struggled with the fear of man. One thing he has not lacked is the fear of God. James is the opposite of tickling ears. Like he's the opposite of that. And today is... No exception. This is not your typical Mother's Day sermon, okay, just so you know, but it's here in front of us, and we're going through it, and I am excited by it. It's interesting, what James does today, he goes straight up with the rich. Like, again, he's done this previously in chapter 1, but he's going straight up with the wealthy again, and he doesn't hold back. He's very serious, like, like sobering with his language, Um, serious with his warnings to the rich of his day, and of course ours as well. Um, These are very, very important passages. Like I will admit, right, I'm looking at the text, and I'm looking at the severity of the language in some cases, and I'm just like, wow, okay. Uh, You know, you're tempted to kind of be like, well, maybe I can, you know, do this, or maybe whatever. I'm just like, no, at the end of the day, man, God's word is God's word, and... um, it was interesting, even in my readings this morning, in Numbers 23, it's the story of Balaam and Balak. And Balaam had his issues, but one of the things he did well was, at the end of the day, he said several times, whatever the Lord gives to me is what I'm going to say. And uh, I was so encouraged by that, because that's where we are today, too. Whatever, whatever, whatever's in front of us, um, we're going to say. And this is why today's message is so important, too, because one of the greatest measurements of our spirituality is how we handle earthly riches. Like, without a doubt. One of the greatest measurements of our spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ is how we view and how we handle earthly riches. Because why? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Like, whatever we treasure is where our hearts are at. And that is the single greatest devastations of the world we live in. It's always been this way, and nothing has changed. The greatest Uh, enslavement in our day, and the Bible classifies this, we'll see this, is the obsession with earthly riches, uh, self-indulgence, and luxurious living. In the end of the day, one of the main reasons when Christ comes to judge the world, uh, luxurious living and self-indulgence is listed as the very top sins of judgment that is to come. So what does love do? Well, love doesn't pass over these things. If someone is destined to impending judgment because of an idolatry of the riches of the earth, you don't be like, oh yeah, you're good, you're good, don't worry, it's all going to work out in the end. It's not going to work out in the end. That's not what love does. Love says, brother, sister, or friend, I have to warn you of the danger of the path that you were on. And there's a greater way and a greater person, his name is Jesus Christ, who can set you free from the idolatry of this world. I'm getting too far down the text right now, so I've got to just back up for a little bit. But, so James here is speaking to to non-believing wealthy landowners. They owned large estates and had tremendous power. Uh, They hoarded great wealth. They exploited the workers that they employed. 
So this is who James is referring to as we uh, start chapter 5. These wealthy landowners, they hoarded great wealth again. Their God was their money, their treasure was the earth, and their hearts were filled with luxury and self-indulgence. So the question we have then, okay, so James is writing this letter to the church. Like he's writing to believers. So why does he now speak in a way that is addressing unbelieving very wealthy landowners. Here's why he's doing this, and this is for us today. Number one, do not envy the wealthy because their treasure is rotting. That's why he says this to the church. He's like, hey, church, don't envy the wealthy. Their treasure is rotting. Number two, he's like, know that God is coming with justice. Okay, so you might be being exploited. He's like, hey, listen, God is coming with justice. All all injustices, all wrongs, will be brought to justice. And then he says this to the church too, because listen, he's like, there's very, very significant principles of life wisdom for the rest of us. Massive principles of wisdom today for the lives that we live rooted in the treasure of Christ and therefore being able to let go of the world around us. So I'm sure you're eager to hear the text because there's a lot of build up to that. So James 5 verse 1, let's take a look at this together. And James says, come now building off of the end of chapter 4. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Wow. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their, listen to this, their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you, or they are not able to resist you. So, sermon title today is this. It's wisdom warnings for the wealthy. Warnings of tremendous seriousness and wisdom towards the rich and the wealthy. It takes us to point number one then, and our outline today is this. Wisdom warning number one, the tragedy of trusting in earthly riches. The tragedy of trusting in earthly treasures or riches. So look at verse 1 again. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you while your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, the text says. Now, again, we must be aware of these extremely important verses in our lives. Like today is a, is a tremendously important call for wisdom because as we've said already, one of the greatest idols and deceptions within our society is a trust and love of riches. Like already right now, there are many of us already being kind of pierced by the Holy Spirit. We're already being convicted because this, this is our thing. This is our distraction. This is our idol. This is our main pursuit of life. And so the Holy Spirit's already begun because this is so pervasive within our society. See, that is why Jesus taught on money more than heaven and hell combined. 
this is why. Like, we always remember that because, again, he knows the state of the heart is the state of the life. And the single greatest obstacle or temptation for our heart to go sour is this love and lust for earthly treasure and for earthly riches. It has brought so many people down to their own destruction from the beginning of time. The love of money, the obsession of material possessions, again, is one of the leadest or the leading causes of spiritual heart disease. Uh, why? Because it deceives, it distracts, and money will never, or riches by itself, will never be able to deliver us, ever. Th- this is what James is going after here. This is what James is so passionate about. Now, as we go through this, okay, as we said many times before, as many, many passages on money or earthly riches, loved ones, listen to this, okay, be careful. Money's not the problem in itself. Money itself is neutral. It's the love of money. It's the trust in money. It's the worship of money. It's the making money my God, my only goal. And that's the problem. Money can be used. Riches can be used for good and for the kingdom. It's when we love and trust and worship it. That's exactly what's happened here in the context of James 5. So there's very strong language in verse 1 that the rich, notice, are to weep and howl at the miseries that are coming upon them. So weep and howl. It's so interesting. Like even this morning, part of my readings as I woke up, Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. It's weep again for the coming judgment of the Lord. So the Old Testament often uses weep and howl to refer to the wailing that takes place when the Lord comes in his day of the Lord in judgment and the people see him and recognize, wow, we're in trouble. And this is what James is building off of right here. A hundred percent, he's speaking of judgment to come. I referenced this briefly already, but in Revelation 18, when it comes to the overall, this is the end of the world, the return of Christ, and the judgment and the absolute eternal condemnation of the Babylonic system of the world, That whole framework, the text says the people will weep and wail over the destruction of Babylon. Right? So so just think about our society. When we obsess and worship and adore earthly riches and pride and possessions and money, when that is brought to nothing, that's why business execs jump from the 21st floor to their death. Because it's all they live for. So when Christ returns... And the entire Babylonic, worldly, satanic system crumbles. And that's what you put all your eggs in that basket. You will weep and wail. You will cry out in anguish because everything you live for has been brought to nothing in a moment. That's why James is like, man, you weep and wail because the miseries that are coming, if all you're living for is this world and stuff and money and self and possessions. You know, as has been said, right? There will be no U-Hauls attached to the rich person's hearses. Right? That's, that's never happened, and that won't happen. That is impossible. What is the source of such weeping and wailing? Look at verses 2 and 3 now. Notice, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Wow. So their earthly riches have rotted. Their fancy clothes are moth-eaten. Their gold and silver are corroded. And then look at this, church. Look at this, okay? This is, again, sobering. Um, the, the, the hoarding of their earthly stuff is 
in reality in the end, and its corrosion, its, 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 its inability to last, is actually gathered as evidence to what they have placed their hope in. Wow. So that really hit me this week, right? Like, what we hope in, we are gathering evidence for what we believe in. Those who accumulate and unnecessarily or excessively hoard wealth, riches for self-purposes, really what you're hoarding is evidence against us for the day of judgment. That's sobering. And by the way, some of us are tempted right now, like we're like, you know, in Canada, we're like, well, I know lots of people way wealthier than me. I mean, you got to be really careful about that, man, because we've never lived in a more prosperous time in the history of the world. Like, you could argue that as a nation. And in this continent we give, and every single one of us, I know that some have more than others, but the reality is when you relatively compare it with the history of the world, you and I, like we're sitting here in this building right now, and you drove in the car that you did, whatever it is, and you the whole, I mean, we are exceptionally well off. So all of us need to just take a time out. And before we start looking at other people, like, yeah, they got the problem. We got to search our horns right now and just be like, man, what am I hoping in? What is the evidence that I'm gathering around me on a daily basis? Because this is incredibly important. Again, James is severe in his language, but listen, he's not exaggerating. He says, this evidence will eat your flesh like fire. I'm like, wow, yikes. So this is a huge, huge moment of wisdom see what he's saying here okay and this is and this is so key the same wealth and riches that brought so much ease and comfort and alleviation from suffering in this world for all the rich that use wealth and hoarding of money for comfort and ease and luxury and just these lavish lifestyles what he's saying is it's this same wealth that is actually going to turn and be used as judgment against the hoarding heart in the end that's going to create such eternal pain and misery and anguish. So isn't that a wisdom moment? The money and riches we obsess over to ease our pain, if we're not true in our hearts with where we're at, will actually in the end be used to bring a pain that you and I never want to experience. See, that's what the world doesn't understand. And we need to share Christ that they would understand that you don't have to live for the possessions of this world. And the money of this world will do nothing. It just, in the end, it's rotting and corroding and the fancy clothes we have will be moth-eaten. There's a better way. There's a better person. There's a freedom, there's a love, there's a hope, there's a grace, there's a forgiveness. His name is Jesus Christ. So we don't live as though our possessions define us. We live because our greatest treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that is where it becomes so powerful. So some huge takeaways from our text so far. We have some explicit warnings in our text, okay? So here are the explicit warnings right there. In James 5, 1 to 3, earthly riches are guaranteed to fail. 100% guaranteed to fail, right? So wisdom says, well, then I should not place my life in hope in that. I agree. Yes, well done. Well done. Right? You should not live for that which is going to fail. That would be dumb. Let's not be dumb. Amen? Secondly, excessive accumulation is evidence against us. Now, the hard part is, what's ex excessive accumulation? That's, again, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful check. Again, 
Um, generosity is a very, very, very powerful thing. It's so necessary in the life of a Christ follower. Um, this is key. The hoarding of wealth is twofold sinful. When we hoard wealth, when the world hoards wealth, number one, it's our priorities are wrong because that's not what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to be as generous as we can possibly be. And then when we hoard wealth, that means we're depriving others of certain blessings. And this is the explicit warnings that James is giving to us again in this text and telling to the church, this is what's happening out in the world. We can never be these people. Now, the implicit wisdom now here is this, right, within the text. So the wisdom says, don't trust in earthly riches. Amen. Don't hoard wealth. Uh, Hold riches loosely. And this is is so key. This is so key. This is what Christ wants for all of us so much. Um, we We have to live with a radical generosity. Generosity is the antidote. Generosity is what works against all of this. The greatest single thing we can do is to live with hands open, hold loosely, and to live with generosity because it shows where our hearts then are truly at. Okay? So again, let me remind you, money itself is not evil. It's our attitude towards it. Let me say this too, okay? Wealthy believers... Wealthy believers in Christ, you, we, us, have a special entrustment of stewardship before God. Those who have been given much, much is expected and required. Okay? Those who have been entrusted with a special um sense or special, again, stewardship of earthly riches and wealth, you have been given a special stewardship from the Lord. Steward wisely. This is how the kingdom so often is so blessed with hearts that hold it loosely and are used of the Lord. If you look at verse 3 now again, uh, James says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Uh, This is not referring to their comfy retirement, okay? You have a nice nest egg. It's not what he's saying. This is referring to their judgment, right? Uh, You have spent all your time and energy laying up treasure, but the last day's judgment is coming, and then it's all going to end up to being uh, valued at zero. So notice here again the New Testament. Our eschatology defines our worldview. What's eschatology? Our eschatology is our view of the end times. Uh, last things. Our eschatology really defines how we live. What we think is going to happen in the end, we reverse it back and it leads us how we live. Our eschatology defines our worldview. Our eschatology, church, must define our treasure. Right? When we believe that in the end times, our eschatology, Christ is returning, and the only thing that matters at that point is our, is our love for Christ, well then why would we live for that which Ross and and Russ, right? That doesn't make any sense. So our view of how the world's going to end impacts how we live here and now. And what is this? This is just the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the power of living for Christ. Because Christ is the ultimate treasure, we don't have to live for the things of the earth. We get to live for Christ, right? It's like there's so many verses and and parables on this. One of the ones Jesus taught in Luke chapter 12 was the story of the rich man who got all this wealth and he built bigger barns. And he's like, oh, I'm going to store all my stuff. I'm going to sit back and say, I'm going to, you know, just drink and eat and be merry and everything's going to be good. And God says to him, you fool. He says on the text, you fool. 
This day your soul is required of you, and the things that you have stored, whose will they now be? Not yours. You're like, you dummy. You live for the very things you shouldn't have. It's right there in Scripture. We don't need bigger barns, church. We need bigger hearts. We don't need more stuff. We need more passion for Jesus Christ. We don't need more hoarding. We need more hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need. This is who God blesses. Let me say it again. In a world where there's like all-time records being set of storage sheds all across the city and everywhere we live, we don't need bigger barns. We need bigger hearts. Okay, listen, listen. Your children do not need another barn. Your children need a mom and dad who love Christ, have a passion for the Lord, have a sense of sacrifice and adoration and humility and worshiping Christ. They don't need another gadget. They need to walk in and catch their dad praying on his knees to Jesus. That's what they need. They don't need a fancier car in the driveway. They need hearts that are humble and filled with love for Jesus Christ, for the reality of eternity. This is what is needed in our day. We don't need bigger barns. We need bigger hearts for Christ. Listen, listen to what Matthew Henry said uh, on these lines too. I saw this quote this week. I love it. He says, man takes great pains to heap up riches. And they're like heaps of manure in the furrows of the field. Good for nothing unless they be spread. It's good. That's so true, eh? Riches, heaps of riches are like piles of manure sitting on our driveway. Ooh, stinks. But you spread those riches for the kingdom of God, and then, man, the fertilization for life change. That goes on. Again, I don't have to apply this in any other level right now than what you're getting. I mean, you, you understand what James and the Holy Spirit is saying. The tragedy of trusting in earthly treasures. God, help us. Help us to free. I know it's tough, man. Trust me. I know the world that we live in. I know my own heart. Uh, point number two is this. The judge will deal with all injustice. So we just say what the Bible says. So right here in verse 4. Uh, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So interesting, Ace. Now what James does, he's comforting the poor believers in the church. He's comforting those who have been defrauded, exploited, or cheated. James really, really wants them to know that God hears and God sees all things. So the massive warning for the rich who are defrauding others is, here's the massive warning for the rich defrauding others, there's nothing the Lord doesn't see. There's nothing the Lord doesn't see. And the massive comfort for the poor believers being cheated is, there's nothing the Lord doesn't see. There's a huge warning, and there's a wonderful comfort being given. So this is the exceptional power of this theology for us, right, to be reminded that justice is coming. All injustices will be dealt with 100%. Every child that has been used and abused, justice is 100% coming. Every act of evil that has cheated the poor for the pride of the rich, justice is 100% coming. Every scheme of fraud, every cruelty of power, every exploitation of poor believers, justice is 100% coming. Notice in verse 4 the phrase, the Lord of hosts. The transliteration of the Hebrew there is the word army in English. So what that means is, is that the Lord is coming with his army. He's coming. And when he comes, he's going to come and bring justice. 
So this, like for James, he's like, listen, you might be exploited now. The time will come. This injustice will be made right. He's like, and like the text that follows for next week, he's like, that's why I need to be patient. Be patient, man, because the time is coming. Like, like, like the Lord is going to come and bring justice. Loved ones right now, maybe this applies to you in some form, in some way, and you're sensing a level of injustice all around you. God says to you today, God says, listen, he goes like, hey, hey, loved ones, loved ones. He says, listen, I see and I'm taking notes. And not just am I taking notes, I'm going to return and I'm going to deal. I'm going to deal with every act of evil. No one, no one, again, who's not saved in Jesus Christ is going to get away with the evil that has come against those, again, they have exploited or defrauded or have abused and in some cases killed, as our text will say in just a second as well. So again, our eschatology is so powerful, right? Here it means we don't have to seek vengeance. Why? God's got it. God's got it. I know that's hard, eh? Because in our flesh we want to, you know, our world right now, there's a, there's a, you know, such a sense, again, of we need to, we need to do it. We need to make it. And in some cases, again, I totally get that, appreciate that, and that's right. But in the end, all injustices will be dealt with. And the Lord says, listen, he says, vengeance is mine. That gives us tremendous comfort as believers. God's like, I hear all, I see all, I know all. Our job is to be patient. Just a little preview for next week. Look at, look at verse 7, okay? Look at verse 7. Won't get into this too much, but I just want you to see. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Late rains. Look at verse 8. You also be patient. So patient three times. Think he wants us to be patient? Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, there you go. Establish your hearts. Get your heart in a place of steadfastness because God's coming. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What a phrase. The judge is standing at the door. He's coming to bring justice. Like, don't you worry. It's going to happen. Our job is to love him, be faithful to him, worship him, and be patient. He's going to deal with it. Let me just say this too. Um, speaking again, the context to unbelieving, very rich landowners abusing the workers underneath them. But let's just bring it down to our application for a bit too. Um, business owners here, employers here, to all those in the financial industry here, really everyone in business here, and in some ways to all of us, to all of us, let's just be reminded, let's be sober-minded, the Lord sees all fraud. The Lord sees all corners being cut for self-gain and the fraudulent activity against others. God sees all cheating. God sees all tax evasion. God sees all greed. God sees all dishonesty and shady business deals. Okay, so for all of us here today in some realm of the business world, but again, just in all our lives in general, personal finances and dealing, let's just be reminded there's nothing the Lord doesn't see. We're not getting away with it in that regard. Let that allow it to sober us. Let it tighten up our integrity. Let that truth grow our generosity. Let it increase our urgency for what we're living for. The judge will deal with all injustice. So we have warning number one, the tragedy of trusting earthly treasures. Number 
Warning number two, the judge will deal with all injustice. And then warning number three is this, the seduction and destruction of self-indulgence. Verse five, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Okay, so again, I know this passage is heavy. Um, but I, I, I really, really believe this is a truth that can be so life-saving. Uh, it's, a, it's a warning of life-threatening danger. Right? We've often said, right, if you see a person floating down Niagara River and they're sitting on their little inner tube and the sunglasses on, they're sipping a fruity drink and they're sitting there and they're enjoying the sun and they're having such a great time and you stand on the shoreline, you know a mile from where they are is Niagara Falls for their impending death and you just sit there and you're like, hey, what's up? Nice to see you. Be, be blessed. You are loved. You are loved. And it, if you just do that, right, that's not love. That's not love. You have sent them to their certain death. This is the hard part of being a Christ follower in our day. Our world is saying, yes, just sit there and wave to people on the river and say nothing. And be like, you're blessed, you're right, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good, you're going to be great. No, you're not. No, you're not. The Bible, now, we are hated for this and we will be condemned for this and blah, blah, that's just, you know, that's a hard part right now. But we know the truth is, if we tell people that they're okay when they're not, we're not actually loving them. Now, the way we do that has to be filled with love and grace and humility and, and patience and tenderness. But, 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 but the truth needs to be told. And right here in this text, if you look at someone who's living all for the wealth and the hoarding of riches for the earth, and you're like, hey, man, you're all good. Enjoy your time here. It's going to be great. Well, that might be true now, but judgment's coming, and it won't be great. It won't be great. So James has enough courage and love to say, hey, hey, we need to really, really be aware of what's actually happening because there's such a better path to take than living for the accumulation of riches here on earth. Hey, just think too, I think of the millions and millions and billions of people that this has been their philosophy and worldview and then they die and then they wish. Then they wish someone would have told them the truth. Maybe they heard the truth and they laughed it off, but our job is to try to love people with the truth of Jesus Christ sets us free from the things of this world. Notice the phrase in verse 5, on the earth, on the earth. Again, here's the tragedy for so many. They live as the earth is everything, right? So that's the, that's the worldliness. Worldliness is life on earth is all there is. Um, Satan blinding the minds of unbelievers. All there is is on this earth. This is what our society does. This is what, again, so much of celebrities and politicians and Hollywood and so much of that. It's now, now, now. Live for now. It's all about the uh, exaltation of self and the accumulation of what's around us. There's no sense of eternity. There's no sense of eternity. I remember I was, um, a few weeks ago, I was with a, a gentleman, I was actually, I've never met before, he's like 80 years old, and, and um, I just had a chance to talk to him, we just, we're spending a little bit of time, some other friends were there, I just said at the end, I'm like, man, okay, I'm just gonna see what this guy, that he knew as a pastor, he shut that conversation down pretty quick, and I brought it up again, and uh, I was like, hey man, what do you believe, I, 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 I like to say this, say, what's your view of the afterlife, what do you believe happens when you die, I really like asking that question because it, 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 you know, it gets awkward, but it's good awkward. You know what I'm saying? But people, people aren't asked that a lot. And, and this guy, it was amazing to hear people say he grew up in like a Lutheran background, you know, like decades and decades ago. So there was some kind of, you know, he said, well, I, I, you know, and he, it was awkward for him. Like it was awkward because he's facing his reality. He's 80. 
He's, he, he knows. Like, you know, and he's like, well, I, it could be something, might not be something. He's like, well, don't you want to know if truth is there? Wouldn't you want to know what it is? And, like, and then I just able to share my testimony, just like, man, I live for my life in the world. I don't go into it, but just, but just like I was the answer. Then I found Christ, and now I am, I'm not afraid of death because he was. I'm not afraid to die, man, because my purpose is in Jesus Christ, and this world is nothing. And, and I could tell he was well-to-do. He did a bunch of stuff and whatever. But it's so interesting asking people, like, what do you, what do you believe happens when you die? It's a question often they don't want to consider, but we need to. We need to. Because that question answers everything. And so James is like, hey, you're not f- focusing on eternity. You're actually focusing on luxury and self-indulgence, and that's your highest goal. So what we need to do, right, what we need to do as believers is we need to walk around with our eternal glasses on, like, all the time. So I'm getting older, so as you can see, I'm starting to wear glasses when I have to read and stuff now, too. But this is a good chance. I finally get to use this as a sermon prop. Let's go. Let's go. That's great. So, yeah. So when I'm walking around this world, and, and I'm just seeing the world from a temporal vision, right, that's when we're in trouble. So we have to walk around and put our eternal glasses on. That's, that's what James is doing for us today. This is what God's word, being God's word. And you're able to put your eternal glasses on. As you go into the shopping mall, put on your eternal glasses, right? Like as you walk through and all the temptation of like that clothing identifies me and that clothing will make me feel better. And, and these items, you have to walk through and be like, not true, not true, not true. As you walk into, walk into the dealership, put them on, put them on, car dealership, put them on, put them on, put them on. <laughs> Make sure you put them on, right? You're walking, oh, I love it, whatever, and just see that. It'd be like, it's, it could be okay, but it's not the answer, right? Right? When you walk into the home renovation store and you're desperate to do whatever, put them on, put them on, put them on, right? When you walk in, drive through that new neighborhood, and you're like, oh, it'd be so good. Put them on, just put them on. It'd be like, you can get that, but it's not, that's not the thing. Like, that's not, when you're on the internet looking at your stock por- portfolio, put them on, put them on quickly, put them on quickly, and look, it's like, hey, it's, it's not wrong to save. I'm a saver. I prefer to save as opposed to spend, but at the end of the day, it's not going to do anything. Like, at the end of the day, it's Christ. Christ is the treasure, right? As you're walking along in life and you're, you know, comparing what you have with others have, put on your eternal glasses and look around as you leave church and you walk through the parking lot. Like, I wish I had that card. No, 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 no. Put on your eternal glasses. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I got Christ. I got Christ. He is my treasure. We have to wear our eternal glasses all the time because the temporal worldly stuff comes at us uh, uh, just, you know, in infinite ways on a daily basis. So we got to read the Word. We've got to come to church and hear messages like this. We're putting on eternal glasses right now. Holy Spirit's like, here, here's a, here's a, here's a great prescription. It's really going to help you see clearly. sobering you know how much the bible warns us of luxury and self-indulgence uh, luke chapter 16 the rich man and lazarus if you haven't read that parable read it today okay luke 16 rich man and lazarus the rich man feasted sumptuously the text says sumptuously enjoyed all the riches of the world indulgences and poor lazarus was at his gate begging for scraps that would fall from the rich man's table. And Lazarus was in such poor state, the dogs came and licked his sores. Absolutely the devastation of society and humiliation for that to happen. The rich man died went to Hades, hell. Lazarus, poor man, went to be with Abraham. Rich man gets to Hades. He's in anguish. He's suffering. The Bible says, and I'll... 
I'll translate. Like, this is Christ telling the story. Jesus says, you know, what God says to the rich man, you had your fun and you had your riches in your day, but now you're in anguish. Lazarus had bad things happen to him and he suffered in his poverty, but now he's being comforted. That's the summary to that parable. These aren't my words, loved ones. This is Christ warning us over and over and over again. If you live as this is heaven now, you better enjoy it because that's all you're getting. We as believers do not live for now. We live for the world to come. And that's why we've said many, many times, you find me the poorest person on this earth in some horrible slum somewhere in this world and they can be filled with more joy in Jesus Christ than the wealthiest person on earth. Because treasure is not about what we have. It's who we are and it's who's in us. That's the power of the gospel. Verse 5, you have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. Just, again, there's, there's so much here, right? So, so the rich and wealthy, again, so think of a cow that is fattened before slaughter. Right? Feed, 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 and then slaughtered. That's the imagery here. Rich people, feed, feed, world, world, riches, riches, stuff, stuff, da-da-da. And he's like, all you're doing is fattening yourself for the day of slaughter. Wow, I mean, just graphic language. I just want to remind you, not my words. Um, I was driving through Burlington this week and I saw a billboard. I think this is, this is unusual. It's on Harvester Street. I see these in the States a lot more. I was like, that's, that's good. Like meaning, it kind of does sum it up. Everything in our text is selfishness. Me, 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 me. Now, 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 now. More, 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 more. Christ comes, I came to set you free from you. You choose life in Jesus. I came to, your identity is not in what you own, what you wear. Your identity is not in your position, not in your paycheck, not in your bank account. I come to set you free from your sin. From your sin. From your selfishness, from your obsession and self-worship. Jesus Christ came to die for our sins that we might be forever saved. It's a good billboard. Hope many people call. Choose life in Jesus. Let's go Canada. Finally, verse 6. Man, a lot, lot to go through. I'm just, I'll, I'll finish here. The rich have been exploited. Many of them have died. That's what it says in verse 7, or verse 6. Um, they can't resist the wealthy people. They're under their control. They, they have died. And so the, 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 the warning is you, you, have, you have condemned, you have you have actually murdered. You've caused people to die and, and that will be held to account as well. So just really, 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 really serious stuff here that we need to be very aware of the, sedu- the seduction and destruction of self-indulgence. We need to live for Christ. Philip Parham, he tells a story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. The rich man says, why aren't you out there fishing? Fisherman said, because I've caught enough fish for today. Rich man said, why don't you catch more fish than you need? Fisherman says, what would I do with them? Rich man says, you could earn more money. He's kind of impatient as he said it. You can buy a better boat, go deeper, catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, make more money. 
Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. Fisherman then asked, well, then what would I do? The rich man said, you could sit down and enjoy life. Fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing now? <laughs> As he sat out and looked placidly at the sea. It's a good word, man. What are we hoping in? Why are we doing the things we're doing? You ever look around and say, why am I so busy? What am I doing? What's the point of this? Let's just end with this slide here as we finish this, okay? The tragedy of trusting earthly treasure, and let's go to, but here's, here's the antidote, but the glory of trusting Christ as my treasure. When Christ is my treasure, I don't need anything else. Like, really, that's so true. If Christ is my treasure, there's nothing else in the end I need because all of eternity will be spent with him. I believe in Christ. I love Christ. He is my treasure, and therefore, he is my satisfaction and my eternity. He's my eternal life. The judge will deal with all injustice. But with Christ as my advocate, when, when I believe in Jesus Christ, I have nothing to fear because Jesus Christ has paid for all my sins. He is for me. He is with me. And again, um, I am totally forgiven. I want to live in holiness, but in the end, um, I will have to stand before judgment in my salvation. I'm declared innocent because Jesus Christ stands beside me and he advocates on my behalf before the Father. The seduction and destruction of self-indulgence, but the power and freedom of renouncing self for Christ. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. Whoever finds his life in this world, he says, will lose it. That's James 5. But whoever loses his life, renounces now for the sake of the gospel in Jesus Christ, then they will find it. That's the gospel. Die to self. Live for Christ. Loved ones, massive wisdom today. On a massively important subject. You know it, I know it, we all know it. As James says, what are you going to do about it? Lord, forgive me for loving the world too much. Forgive me for obsessing about money. Forgive me for idolizing the things around me. I don't need bigger barns, Lord. I need, I need a bigger heart for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as I, as I preach your word, I, um, I just trust you. I, I, I just sense um, your wisdom and your Holy Spirit moving among your people. I, I, I love your ways are not ours. I, I, I love that our job is just to be faithful to you. I love that so much. It's so freeing. And I love that you love us enough to tell us what we need to hear. So many are enslaved to these sins. So many, too many. I beg you that you would set so many free. I beg you to give wisdom right now to say, what am I living for? What evidence is gathering around me? I beg you, Lord, that you will bring life and love and grace and I just even encourage you here right now and you can turn to Jesus. You can see Jesus Christ. I see you as the son of God, as the one who died for my sins. I see you as love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. And Jesus, I believe in you. I, I trust in you. I I accept you. Uh, I want to be forgiven and, and I need eternal life. Please, Jesus, grant me that today. You can say that to him. You can cry out to him. And the Bible says when you do that sincerely, you'll be saved. Yes, Lord, maybe so. 
pray for this world. We just, we long, we long for people to be saved. We long for those that are so blind, so blind to riches to be saved, to see Christ as treasure. Please, Lord, would you bring revival to this land? Would you pour out mercy upon those who don't deserve it? And will you grant life eternal? Yes, Lord, be our vision, be our hope, be our wisdom, be our love. Pray for hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of people to come to Christ across this nation, leaving the world behind, losing their life to find it in Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, may it be so. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.